Hello and welcome to the International Schools Podcast. I'm your co-host, John Micton. Dan is traveling and not with us this time. Uh, one of the things it's summer and many of us now have uh, are uh, away from work and school, if you're a school leader or school educator or anybody associated with schools and especially international schools, the summer is a time for respite and kind of re-energizing or catching up with family and friends. But for many and some, it's a time when you move. And moving always can be quite challenging. It can be exciting. There's kind of a prolifery of emotions that one goes through as a parent. And of course, if you have children, they also have to engage with the idea of the move, often maybe in different ways because they have different capacities to synthesize a lot of the emotions. And then of course, as schools, you have faculty leaving and faculty coming, and you as a school leader might be coming to a new school. So this huge smuggersborg of all these transitions that happen, and often parents are being moved, their company, very short notice, might ask them to move, or maybe they're moving because they're returning to their home country or moving from their home country to a new country. So now that I've exhausted you with all these different permutations, what I'm really excited is that we have Valerie and Jane who are part of SPAN. And I'm gonna let them kind of explain about the organization, Safe Passage Network, and uh, also talk about their own organizations uh, because each one has their own organizations. Jane has Globally Grounded and uh, Valerie has Roots and Boots. So uh, we'll also get a chance to talk to them. First of all, Valerie and Jane, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us, John. Yeah, thank you, John. Great to be with you. Jane, why don't you kick off and kind of do a little bio on yourself and the organization, and then we'll transition to Valerie. Okay, great idea. So my background is as a teacher, um, but now I'm an educational consultant and I specialise in student cross-cultural transitions. Um, I have a number of professional hats, including educator, researcher and writer, but my work is really informed by a lifetime of mobility. I uh, grew up in a domestically mobile family and then as an adult moved internationally with my husband and our two children. And then we've also repatriated back to Australia. So I've kind of done the full gamut of uh, of mobility. I've been that child um, waving goodbye at the school gate in a, in a foreign place. I've also been the parent of a child um, in, in a new country and been a teacher who has welcomed children, students into my class uh, and also farewelled them all the while seeing the impact that it was having on those who stayed as well. So that's a bit of background about my journey. Thank you so much, Jane. And I just want to tell our audience, Jane is being very brave. She's in Australia, so it's quite late. And we're in mid-afternoon. Valerie and I are lucky. We're in the same country, actually not too far from each other here in Switzerland. So Valerie, please. Thank you. 
Yes, thank you. So I um, I come from uh, a background. Of, I'm a third culture, adult third culture kid myself. I moved around quite a bit um, and attended several international schools and several local schools in the Netherlands. I'm Dutch by birth, I'm Swiss by nationality now. And um, I started teaching about 18 years ago uh, and have taught in several international schools across four continents, one of them being in Geneva at the International School of Geneva. And for me, um, I've always been passionate and intrigued about how mobility affects learning and the experience of a child as they're looking for their identity and trying to establish who they are. So um, after a sabbatical from teaching in 2019, I decided to fully concentrate on this subject and um, started my, my own company Roots with Boots, but also um, have been volunteering with Safe Passage Across Networks, which we'll tell a little bit more about in a minute, since 2017. And and um, really, uh, I, I just love what I do and, and I'm very passionate about helping students, families and staff um, face the challenges of mobility, but also really thrive through it and, and really reap the benefits of a globally mobile life. And um, yes, and I'm also uh, having having grown up um, moving around a lot, I've also uh, really realized early on in my teaching career that there was a lot of research available for the adults. You know, Third Culture Kids book came out at the time and, and, and more and more research became available to to the educational community as well, but there was very little available for children themselves. So that encouraged me to write um, a children's book specifically for children to identify with as they go through their own moving story, so to speak, and um, with that moving booklet for children as well. Great, thank you. So one of the things I think that's important is that, and you need to both correct me if I'm wrong, we are talking about people that have choice to move or professionally are moving or because it's a career. Because right now in the world, we have a lot of people moving that are not moving by choice. Absolutely. And I'm just making the assumption and correct me if I'm wrong, you're really supporting more what I would call the international school community of parents and students and educators that are moving. Uh, so there is, it's a bit of a different dynamic. It's emotion. It's it's also can be very traumatic, but I just want to make sure our audience understands the context. And maybe to help us with this, Jane and Valerie, I'm going to let you both explain a bit about uh, SPAN, because this is a wonderful organization, Safe Passage Across Networks. Maybe tell us a bit about that, because you're both very uh, involved with that. Absolutely. So and I, I go will back let... and forth. Thank you. And I will let Jane start, actually, because she was first involved with Safe Passage Across Networks. So I will I will let her start with her part of the story first. <laughs> Thank you, Valerie. So Safe Passage Across Networks began in 2016, and I was one of the founding uh, steering committee members back in that time. Uh, it was founded by Doug Ota. Uh, after he wrote his book, Safe Passage, How Mobility Affects Pe People and What International Schools Should Do About It. Um, and so we've now been going for quite a few years and have morphed into a not-for-profit organisation now that is registered in the Netherlands. And we have a team that 
pretty much so covers the whole world, doesn't it, Valerie? We have uh, a representation in almost every continent across the globe. And um, and so and our 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 mission is really uh, to support um, schools and students and families. So we offer a home to anyone who's committed to healthy uh, cross-cultural transition and attachment security. And we provide professional learning opportunities for schools uh, and also for parents as well. And maybe, Valerie, you might like to go into a bit more detail. Yes, thank you. So, yes, so we, as Jen said, we connect, equip and refresh transitions care providers. And um, we do that through several different avenues. We have a monthly free award-winning gathering called The Nest every first Thursday of the month at 12 UTC. So anybody who's listening um, is more than welcome to join us there any um, every every month except for July and August and January. Valerie, I'm um, just going to stop you. Sorry to interrupt you. I just want to tell our audience, Valerie and Jane have been very generous with resources in the show notes. So this uh, Nest event, you actually have a link that you can go to and you can bookmark it so you can make sure you don't miss that. So do check the show notes. They've been extremely generous in giving resources and also to stay connected. Sorry for the interruption, but I just wanted people to know about the Nest that they can quickly connect to that. Great. No, thank you very much, John. Much appreciated. So so there's that. We also have an annual virtual symposium um, this year coming up on October 7th and 8th. Is that correct, Jane? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> um, and, um, and that is really, uh, it, it's, a, it's a weekend where we <clears throat> try to bring together um, the community, as, but also really provide the latest on the research. Um, we're, we're excited that Doug Oda, who is the founder of our organization, he's also led um, a study that he's gonna, he's gonna report the latest research findings on that in October. And then we invite researchers, but we also invite um, what we call showcase schools who have, who have um, been part of our network and who are showing how they have developed positive transition care programs in their schools. So there's a lot of the, there's the research side, there's the practical side, and then we're also trying to incorporate as much student voice into that as well. Um, so that's once a year. And then um, we have a membership community, so that <clears throat> um, is open for individuals, but also for schools. And through that membership community, we also offer um, a variety of resources. And um, we also offer training and consulting, like Jane said, and more specifically, we have what we call the Laws of Transition Certificate course, which is a two month course, um, a virtual asynchronous and synchronous course, where um, in the last two years, we've now had over 85 um, learners join us from 35 different international schools and organizations. And so we're starting our next cohort in September this year. Fantastic. And that is just such great professional development, because I know so often as educators, when we start the year, we have a whole group of a cohort of kids that are in that transition period. And even though we sometimes feel we know what transition's like, I mean, I've just moved back after leaving 30 years back to my hometown. And, you know, the transition, you know, everybody says, oh, you're going home, it'll be easy. Well, guess what? It's very different. So I think each transition, and that's something that maybe I would love to kind of dig in right now. 
why do so often people not take the time to understand the complexity of transition? Because a lot of parents, and I, I will be one, you know, when you're in the midst of moving, you're getting the boxes organized or you're getting your visas, all that logistic stuff, and your head's kind of in that space. And sometimes you might do it before or after, but not during. And, and maybe talk about a bit that journey how does one manage that transition? And what are some things that we're forgetting? What, what don't we do well? Maybe you both can talk to us as parents and educators, maybe, uh, in that transition, so physically yeah. transitioning. Well, I think if I can jump in on that one, I think the, the first assumption parents and educators often make is that, you know, the kids are so resilient, they'll be all right. And and I think there, yes, children are extremely resilient by nature in many ways. But um, I think we we often underestimate, and 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 Jane could talk a little bit more to that. Those those challenges that do come with transition, and and also underestimate how if we don't manage those well, how we can't really truly reap the benefits of that globally mobile lifestyle that we're so often you know reminded of, and that we so often remind our children of as well that so i think i think there that's the first part where where people tend to um not look at it because they assume the that the resilience is there yeah yes i would agree and i just wanted to go back quickly to your statement john about how um moving back home has been challenging. You know that actually returning home is regarded as the hardest of all international moves because of exactly the premise that everyone's told you, oh, if you walk in the park, you've lived there before, how hard can it be? Um, yeah. But I actually love um, Robin Pascoe's uh, description of re-entry and it helped me so much when we returned to Australia. She said it's like having contact lenses but in the wrong eyes everything's kind of almost right but it's not quite right you know uh, and Excellent. so I think um, yeah I think that's a it's a really good metaphor isn't it to to just describe it, it just can't be the same so much has changed uh, since the last time that that you lived there you as a human being have, have changed uh, since the last time you lived there. And of course, if, in, if this is the case for, for students, um, in many cases, their passport might tell them that they live in a certain, or that they're from a certain country, but they may never have actually lived there before. So there's a lot of um, challenges around identity development um, for students who are returning home. Um, but then equally, if you are moving to a, a new country, you know, saying goodbye to everything that's familiar is really hard. It is hard to say goodbye. And uh, I'm reminded of our, our very wise bear, Winnie the Pooh, who says how lucky we are to have something that makes saying goodbye so hard. And it's true. But if we can say goodbye well, then when we enter into a new school or a new culture, um, then it is a, a smoother transition. It's an opportunity to really embrace the new opportunity, uh, the new experiences, new friends. We don't have to be dis we don't have to feel like we're being disloyal to our old friends because we have said a good goodbye. 
And then uh, we are able to enter into this new phase and this new experience much more positively. Uh, I think the challenge that or the, the situation we often see uh, in schools is that students and parents and staff are not supported to leave well which means when they arrive at a new school, they're already in a state of considerable anxiety. Um, even though they might have all their ducks in a row, which you just described from, from the logistics point of view, from the emotional point of view, uh, it can take a lot longer for the, uh, the psychological self to arrive in a physical location. So the work that we do with schools is to really help them to enhance their transition care programs so that they can really support students uh, and parents and staff in that transition so that they can, te teachers can teach well, parents can parent well, and students can learn well. Because we know, don't we, that, um, you know, students cannot learn when their brain is uh, not in a position to do that. And when you're moving to a lo new location, you're worried about, you know, will my knowledge be valued in this new place? You know, what do I, what do I not know? What should I know in this, you know, new curriculum? And, and, and how do these, how do these um, children, you know, what do, what do they wear? What, what's cool? What music are they listening to? How am I going to make friends? All of those kind of things are juggling around in their mind how can they possibly arrive on day one and jump straight into learning? They can't. So, uh, so we really work with schools to to help put transition programs in place so that we can support them to um, and place them in a position to succeed. I think it's really interesting that you guys talk about saying goodbye, because if uh, having been a school administrator in many different schools, we're very good at the orientation when people come in. We have the, you know, the, the uh, raffle, we go to pubs, we have dinners, we do cultural events. Uh, there's really a lot of effort in kind of, you know, you learn about the mission and the principles and you have a buddy and there's a real good structure set up. But I'm just thinking uh, from my experience that the departure, and Valerie, maybe you can address this question, is usually logistics. This is how much you get for your shipping. Here's your flight. Uh, the landlord wants you out by this date. Here's a cleaning company. Whatever the context might be, every context and culture has a different transition out and different logistics. But it's not as if we pause and stop and say, okay, now we're going to really focus on making sure we say goodbye well. Why yeah. do you think that is, Valerie? Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, I think every every culture has its own context of, of saying goodbye, but it often does revolve around logistics. And and this is something we talk a lot about um, in, in our work and in our course as well, is I think that you know, people are not naturally drawn to goodbyes. People are naturally drawn to hellos. It's, it's, it's almost... Um, that repulsion effect of, of I, I don't want to deal with it. It's too difficult. I'm just going to, you know, how how often have you not met people who say, oh, I don't do goodbye. I I say, I do see you later. I mean, there, it, it's, you know, so many of us, I mean, myself included, and it is, it, it's hard because, because by actively saying goodbye, you're acknowledging that there is some grief that you have to go through as well. 
And this is really what we work with a lot as well, is that we want to ensure that that we don't um, have a, you know, what they call the unresolved grief later that can later manifest itself in, in, in you know, unwanted ways, especially with with younger children and young adults. But I think it's it's a it's I personally have firsthand experience of this as well, where I think for throughout my own um, experiences as a student going through international schools and switching schools three times, four times during during my secondary school period, I I, I thought I was fine because I, I saying goodbye wasn't that hard. I loved the challenge of a new experience. I love making new friends. I, I academically, I did all right. Um, so, so I was fine. Right. Um, except I wasn't in my early twenties because that's when I realized that there was all that accumulated unresolved grief of not saying goodbye, oh, which also added to the fact that I had no idea who I was at that point because I'd been that chameleon that just easily adapts to every situation and was so busy doing that and so not focused on processing any of what I was going through emotionally by constantly saying goodbye and hello that it it um it de it definitely it made for a much more challenging start in life as a young adult so but and and overall I think even as adults we still are more likely to to want to throw somebody you know a a um welcome home party <laughs> than a goodbye party right <laughs> yeah <laughs> good point yeah so one thing that uh you shared which was a personal anecdote you said that you had multiple times in different secondary schools and you moved around and you were fine with it jane maybe you can answer this what so there is kind of what I would call, uh, it's not post-traumatic syndrome, but there is obviously something that happens years later, often if there is this unresolved or these transitions maybe are not as fluid and caring and with empathy that you take this baggage and maybe bury it and then it pops up later. Is this a pattern that you've noticed? And is this something that is more common because maybe we're not doing the care at the beginning? Yes is the short answer <laughs> to that question. The slightly longer answer is absolutely. What we see is that um, if if students and parents and staff, but, it, but right now if we just focus on students, if they're not supported to say these good goodbyes, then they very quickly uh, get a defence mechanism there and, you know, put up a bit of a barrier. And so the next time they have to say goodbye, then um, it's just they remove themselves a little bit more. And then, of course, what that means is that when they arrive in the new place or if they are a student who is staying and saying goodbye to someone else who's leaving, when it comes to welcoming the new arrivers or making new friends, there is a real reservation. And, uh, and it may, may, be, may start off subconsciously, but then over time, um, what we find in our work is when we have conversations with students, it actually becomes a conscious decision. I am not going to fully invest in this relationship because it's just going to hurt too much. I'm just not going to. And so then what happens is then that becomes uh, a, a habit or a routine. So when they get into adulthood, forming fulfilling and meaningful relationships 
can be very, very difficult. And and that is uh, research plays that out. If you look at um, adult third culture kid research, this is one of the real challenges. And so, which is why at SPAN, we are on a complete mission to rewrite the narrative on adult third culture kids and adult cross-cultural kids because um, the, the current narrative is that the, the transient lifestyle, the the unresolved grief makes it very difficult in adulthood to maintain uh, long-term relationships. Well, we uh, believe and our research uh, also tends to show is that if we can manage transition, that is equip our students with the skills to, to uh, navigate transitions in, in any context in life, not just moving across cultures or moving schools, but any of our transitions in life, then that sets them up to have meaningful relationships, meaningful long-term relationships, to be very uh, successful in their learning and to really fulfil that mandate that everyone talks about when we talk about cross-cultural kids and kids from international schools to be those global citizens that can create that bridge between worlds. I think it's so interesting how you actually highlighted that it's more than this a transition, that skill set, those dispositions that kids develop in being able to manage transition actually are almost transdisciplinary. They can go into other situations, uh, be it change management in a, in a professional or social context. And then I think it's so powerful, your statement is if we equip these students with these dispositions, then this idea of global citizenship is even amplified much stronger. One thing you talked about is this idea of the kids that always stay and the staff that always stay. So I, in my case, my two, two children, they were in a school for nine years. There was a lot of transition. Uh, they were in a school where people didn't really stay that long. The staff did and staff kids did, but many of their contemporaries would transition out. The same with staff. There are schools where staff, you have a cohort that stays a long time and then a cohort that is on the circuit, kind of moves and rotates for professional reasons, whatever it might be. And I know that often we have goodbye books for kids that are leaving and there's, you know, and, and there's a lot of focus on let's get the kid that's leaving, let's make sure they feel good. And this whole cohort, and it's it's not a majority, but it's definitely a significant group, is I'm going to call them the stayers, be it staff or parents or children. There must be after a while also this kind of feeling like, well, hold on here. I'm staying. Am I going to this new kid that comes in? How much am I going to invest? And how do we juggle that, Valerie? You know, that the stairs and it's a terrible label, but I just can't think of anything right now. No, yeah, actually, we we do refer to them as the stairs in our work. Okay, good. <laughs> um, we we have the arrivers and the stairs and the leavers, and and the stairs is absolutely the group that is um, the the least thought of in 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 every aspect when it comes to the students when it comes to the the staff when it comes to the parents as well you know when you think about the pta people and i mean they they definitely 
um, th there is that risk of, of stay or burnout, so to speak, because you are constantly dealing with transitions because everybody around you is moving. And we often remind the people in who we work with as well, you know, don't, don't forget that for every student who stays, their transition is just as big because everything they were used to when they had their best friend sitting next to them last year or last semester or last week will have changed from the moment that person has left. Like their their daily routines will have changed. Everything for them has changed. So so it's um, <clears throat> it, 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 we, we work a lot around how can you recognize the stayers? Um, how can you how can you ensure that they feel validated in their experience of staying? How can you ensure that, you know, they they are offered um, ways as well to to stay engaged with the school in a way that they want to welcome the arrivers and where they want to ensure that the leavers have a good departure, but you cannot leave them out in that process. And, and Jay, maybe you want to speak to, to some of the experiences we've had looking at, you know, the the way the the learners in our cohorts have have um, dealt with that as well. Yeah, I was just about to yeah. jump in with with that. So in our laws of transition course, our law number two is all about this. Law number two mm -hmm. says for every connection, there is an equal and opposite connection. So for a person to connect to somebody else, that other person has to be willing and able to make that connection and we and that is all about the stayers and so we actually spend a whole module diving into this so it's great that that you've uh, you've brought this up John because it is such an important area and um in 2020, Ellen Mahoney and I um, conducted some research um, around where we were looking at the landscape of transition care across international schools. And our research found that hardly any schools were focusing on stayers, whether they were um, whether they were uh, students, parents, or staff who were non-citizens or citizens. So we're actually, when you're talking about stayers, you're really looking at two very distinct groups. So we have the citizen stayers, and then we have the um, non-citizen stayers, such as your children that you just described before. So it's, and their experiences of staying are very different. And I'm reminded of my own experience when I arrived at an international school, a um, citizen stayer said to me, so how long are you going to be here? That was the first question they asked me. And and I said, oh, look, you know, we don't have a, a fixed time here. Oh, so you might stay longer than three years? Yeah. Oh, yes, we might. Oh, well, let's see. I'll give it six months and then I'll decide whether I'm whether you can be my friend or not. And I was like, okay. <laughs> but it kind of makes perfect sense, yeah. right? Because if you are uh, someone who has been in the school for a long time, uh, it is exhausting to have to constantly say goodbye and say hello. And so you do get up a, uh, you know, a bit of a defence barrier. So as a, as a form of protection. And I can imagine that being, having every three years, well, which, which is really every year because, you know, people are on three-year contracts that, that are rolling at different times. Every year you are having to say goodbye 
every year you're having to welcome new people into your class, into your team, whatever it might be, and having to go through the same motions again and again and again. So it is exhausting. And and it's interesting that stayers are kind of neglected when it comes to transition care because they're the custodians of the school vision, aren't they? Yeah. They are the linchpins of a school community. So yeah. really transition care should start with the stayers, in yeah. my humble opinion, <laughs> because from them that if if you've got a strong community who really um, have a strong sense of belonging, then that culture exudes out from them, doesn't it? And then helps the arrivers feel welcome, helps the leavers to leave well. It it becomes um, a, a very positive cycle. There's kind of a yin and yang here where we've been focusing a lot on the leavers and actually you're saying, hold on, let's focus on the stayers because then we'll have that balance and that better environment that really propagates or gives that capacity for both entities to feel comfortable. You talked about your anecdote where this person was going to make a decision in six months about their friendship. One thing I know that uh, I've had many conversations with parents when they announce they're going to leave is they have to decide when is a strategic time to break the news to the children. And often, you know, uh, especially international school educators, they might be talking over an 18 months period about departure because they're thinking, oh, I want to be a, a principal or I have this opportunity here or I want to go into middle school, whatever it might be. So and of course, kids, you know, they sit around, they hear pretty much everything, however much we think they don't. Uh, so when is the decision? When do you become transparent and open? Is it right from the get-go? Or are there better timelines to work with? I'll let both of you kind of respond to that because I think often for parents, uh, it's quite challenging to decide when do I tell them when, you know, daddy gets the new contract or mom now gets marching orders to go to another part of the company. Just curious. Um, well, I, you know, as you're saying all of that, and as I'm, I'm reflecting on, on a quote by, by Doug Oda <clears throat> that we use a lot is people develop and learn best when they feel safe, supported and seen. Uh, I immediately have to think about, you know, whatever the, whatever the time is that you involve the child in, in the, 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 not the decision necessarily, but in the announcement of, of that you're moving, you know, ensure that they do feel safe, supported and seen in that time span, no matter what, whether and, and you know, let's be realistic, because some some families also don't necessarily always have a lot of time to make those decisions or to, to give that time to their children. Or sometimes it is a bit of a spur of the moment decision. And also there you know, situations and especially COVID has taught us that that, you know, people have to leave at the drop of the hat. But it's in general when 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 as a teacher i've often been asked that question and in general i would say you know at least give them 
if you can, three months. For me, for me, three months has always been like at least give them that because that gives them a little bit of time to process it, to, to, to make sure they can tell their friends, to make sure that they can think about that process of leaving, or they can build what we call the raft um, that we work a lot with, like where they think about reconciliation, affirmation, farewells, and think destination. So, so give them a, at least that. Um, I, I do think there's a. You know, a lot of parents say if we if we say it too early, then there's the risk of them checking out and not really wanting to be involved in the rest of the school year anymore. I think I think there is that, but saying it too late and ripping the band-aid off, so to speak, is definitely I think the worst thing you can do because then you can't you're 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 taking away the opportunity for that child if there is one to go through that process of saying goodbye um so so that's usually um how I feel about it and and I, I do think um I think one of the the hardest things for and I experienced that as a child as well and I think that's also something to keep in mind is if when you tell your child and then say to, and then let them in on the fact that you're moving and then saying to them but you can't tell anybody else yet that's really <laughs> difficult <laughs> like make yeah. sure that when you're ready to tell them that they can yeah. run to their best friend and and talk yeah. about it. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah, Jane, some thoughts. Yeah, yes, and so uh, so I feel that this is a golden opportunity for schools. So the longer you know, this whole process of saying goodbye can be supported so well, and even if it is eighteen months, that it is a it is a real opportunity for schools to gather around students and bring them along that journey prime them with the skills they need to say goodbye well to to think about the next place and and plan that farewell um, and plan that arrival plan what their life what they'd like their life to look like and and make connections in the new place as well uh, there, there's an absolute golden opportunity for schools to help them transition well um, and you know we see this with um, particularly with uh, students of staff because you know that whole um, period of hiring is now so long it really starts 12 months before you start in the new location so th this is particularly important for staff and for their children in that process as well. And and you know, you mentioned before that staff often stay in places for a long time. So they're very invested in, in the school. So to make that move, it, 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 the, um, the length of time should be really uh, nurtured. It should be a time of nurture and just really, you know, using it to, to the full advantage. But as Valerie said, on the flip side, of course, there are, there are times when there is no opportunity for goodbyes, for good goodbyes. But thank goodness now we have technology and COVID really, you know, um, brought this to the fore, as Valerie mentioned, where we are able to facilitate good goodbyes, even if we can't do it in person. It's not quite the same but it is possible uh, and so that is something uh, that you know has been very positive in, in that in that whole process yeah no i i think you bring up a good point about how the technology has really allowed us to make these connections and continue these connections and i know that a lot of students uh, you know, because they're more versatile, they're comfortable. And Zoom is kind of like Netflix. It's just part of our lives. 
or whatever. Uh, so I think there's much more ease. And there are those, you know, I look at uh, my own children, some of the connections that they have kept over the years that are still virtual. Uh, they can be quite powerful and quite rich. One of the things you talk about is uh, transitioning well. What are some of the signs that as a parent or an educator, you know, you're, you've, you've given the three months warning, uh, you're being transparent, now the logistics comes in, you're still teaching. What are some of the behaviors that are triggers that can help people realize, ooh, I need to, I need to slow down, or I need a break, or I need to recalibrate? Have you seen certain patterns of behaviors that might not be explicit but might be signs that maybe somebody is not actually dealing with it as well as they think they are. Have Is that with children and adults? I'm just, you know, for caregivers and for teachers, what might be some things that if they notice that might be a way to say, okay, I need to really spend more time supporting that person. Oh, Valerie, can I tell my story about my student? I have the perfect example of this. Um, I had a student, a grade four student, so nine, ten years old, uh, come into my classroom one day in floods of tears. And uh, and I was like, I'm going to use a pseudonym here, Nathan, What you know? What, what's happened? And he said, um, Dad told us last night that we're leaving. And and uh, and I said, oh, you know, I'm so sorry to hear that. Uh, anyway, we kind of talked through um, the emotions and and you know what he was going to miss and uh, and and some of the skill sets that he had around friendship that would help him in the next place and so on. But it was so interesting, and he, and he kind of was quite calm and and went and sat, you know, as you do in in elementary school. There's the mat on the floor when the teacher sits at the front, you know, to start the day. It was so interesting. He went and sat off the mat at the back of the room, wow. and I and I thought, well, there you have it. So that is a physical example of what is going on inside his head. He's withdrawing. He's instantly just like okay I am moving back here and I am already disconnecting so that is that to me is symbol number one and you see it with adults too adults do it too once they've made the decision to leave and particularly staff you often see them withdraw from relationships and we all well we also find um in the playground and also amongst adults is a kind of nastiness that comes, which is absolutely a defense mechanism. It's this is going to be too painful to say goodbye. So you know what? I'm just going to be, they don't think this, it's subconscious. I'm going to be mean to you and push you away. And then that way I won't have to say goodbye and I won't have to deal with the loss. They're two things that straight off the top of my head uh, I see quite often yeah. in uh, in schools. Valerie, you can probably add to that. No, I completely agree. And that's what I really tried to do with, with the book I wrote for, for children as well and be at home and is showing that roller coaster of emotion and, and kind of showing the different kind of emotions children can. It's not, I'm not saying they show all of them or that, but the different kind of emotions they can show once, um, once they find out they're leaving, which is very much to, you know, to, to withdrawing, but also, um, you know, often just, getting a little bit of a nonchalant attitude about all of it and then oh yeah no it's fine and and the, the constant yeah no I don't I don't need to talk about it I'm I'm good um to 
to, you know, and I think with younger children, especially what's also important is, is, you know, just the, the belly aches, the, the, I, I don't feel well, which is often a translation of I'm not feeling well inside. Um, so they're, they're, they're little things to look out for. Um, but again, I think, it, I, I think this is actually also really important point to make is that as parents, we are so quick and, and as educators, but as parents, especially, we are so quick to want to encourage, right? If something is not going well, we want to tell our kids, no, but it's going to be fine. You're going to do great. You're going to make new friends. You're going to do it. We're trying to look at all the bright sides because of the, mostly because of the guilt we feel for, yeah, you know, so for, for, for making them move, so to speak. So, and, and these are the wise words of, of Ruth Van Reichen the co-author of their culture kids growing up well, actually worlds. we had on this podcast yes she was i know you, our first yeah. ever guest so yes uh, i know and she's wonderful. we 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 have the privilege of having her as vice chair on our governing board so so we we uh we do enjoy spending time speaking to ruth and she has so many nuggets of wisdom but one of them that she taught me early on was comfort before encouragement always comfort let the let the child go through the emotions let them be angry let them be excited let them be you know let them go through all of those emotions and don't judge those emotions because they they need to go through them and and they need to manage them and uh, you know then you have conversations about them but certainly allow the space and time for those emotions I can't amplify enough this idea of comfort before encouragement, because I think culturally in certain cultures, it's kind of like, well, just, you know, bin and grare it or just, you know, stiff upper lip, whatever you want to name it. Every culture has this idea that, you know, when you're challenged, kind of pull your bootstraps up and engage yeah. with it. And I think sometimes we're so uncomfortable and we think that if we say, oh, the, guess what? They have a Disneyland there and we'll be going every weekend or whatever you might do. So thank you for highlighting this idea of comfort before encouragement, because I think it's so important. One of the things that both of you do, and I want to give some time, is you both have your own organization. So Jane, Globally Grounded, and Valerie, uh, Roots and Boots. Maybe tell us a little bit each about your organization, because I think one of the things that I hope by with this podcast is that people understand when you're going through this, there are organizations and SPAN is a phenomenal organization. I think anybody that's thinking of moving should immediately go to the website and engage with the different opportunities that you provide, which are virtual and, you know, it's very flexible to go, but also talk about each of your organizations. So Valerie, tell us a little about Roots and Boots and then we'll come to yes. Jane about Globally Grounded. Well, Roots, Roots with Boots um, really grew uh, grew out of the pandemic a little bit as well. Um, but for me, it was it was really where I wanted to, um, to to look at how I could provide services for for families who are going through transition to help ensure that that their children still feel like they have roots, even though they're moving and even though that but really it's 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 very much um with the thought of how they can build that identity and that sense of belonging especially to themselves as they are growing up as a as a cross-cultural child um so yes and 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 much much of the consulting work 
that I've done through that has definitely been for for families and also organizations and schools um, on on how to what what it means to be a cross cultural child um, and how to manage transitions well. Um, but and, and Jane can talk a little bit more about globally grounded, and then Jane, feel free to to tell a little bit more of the story of of how we work together with the safe passage as well. Okay. All right. Thank you, Valerie. Uh, so Globally Grounded uh, was founded out of a conversation I had with colleagues at an international school I was teaching at in Singapore. Uh, I had been working with my uh, elementary class and I had noticed blockages in some of my students' learning and having been in education for 20 plus years uh, at that time, I knew that it wasn't cognitive, I knew it wasn't behavioural, but as I came alongside these students and, and to understand their stories, I realised there was one common denominator, which was mobility. All of these students had moved across cultures. And so I went to my colleagues in the staff room, many of whom had been teaching in international schools for way longer than I had. And I said to them, you know, is this a thing that, you know, mobility might impact kids' ability to learn? And they all kind of looked at me blankly and said, I've never really thought about it before. Um, and so at that stage, I just finished my master's of education. So I was kind of in okay, where's the research mode? And so I went in search of research and um, and found quite a bit, actually, um, particularly John Hattie's research uh, around what actually works to bring about learning. And But if you scroll down his list, right down the very bottom is what is detrimental to learning and guess what? Mobility is there as one of the five factors most detrimental to learning. Um, and then there was there's other research that supported that. So I went back to my colleagues and I said, look, this is a thing. And they <laughs> said, uh, and they said, oh, well, that's interesting. And so then I thought, okay, well, right. So this is the thing. I need to help these students. So I began just experimenting in my classroom with different activities to really promote that discussion that we've been talking about before um, and getting some self-reflection happening. And, uh, and oh, my gosh, the results were really quite amazing over the course of about six months, but then throughout the full year. And so I went back to my my um, colleagues in the staff room and I said look this, I've just been trying this and it seems to be working and you know what started as that brief conversation quickly turned to you need to educate us about this and then as I was talking to the parents of these students they were saying the same thing so that quickly turned to me providing workshops uh, and then um and then it got to the point where I decided to leave the classroom and begin my own consultancy. And ta-da, Globally Grounded was formed at that point in time. And so I did that uh, in Singapore and then we repatriated back to Australia. And there are not, I don't know if you know this, but there aren't very many international schools in Australia. <laughs> I have there a friend are... that's a director of one in Perth. Ah, there you go. Fantastic. Excellent. Maybe I can get that person's details later. Yes, it's on. Western but... International School of Australia. Yeah, she just moved Fantastic. there from, uh, she was in Madagascar before. Ah, 
Great. Excellent. Well, that's very good to hear. So what I had to do was to, well, what I realized, even in my own children's um, experiences when they returned to Australia is that they were what we call hidden immigrants. So they were, um, they looked Australian, they sounded Australian. One of my sons is blonde-haired, blue-eyed, olive skin. looks like he's just stepped off the beach. And uh, the teachers all assumed that they had been educated at the local school down the road. They didn't even know where Australia's capital city was. They might have known the name, possibly, but they wouldn't have known where, they definitely didn't know where it was. But they could have told you all about um, the British occupation in Singapore, for example. They were all over that. So uh, I was invited into the school to to talk to them about uh, cross-cultural kids and third-cultural kids. They're also a boarding school. And that led to um, a lot of uh, conversations and then consultancy to really help them to put transition care programs in place for their cross-cultural students, their international students, their third culture kids um, and those who were returning home. And so then that has spread um, where I've done uh, been working with the Australian Boarding School Association here. And so um, I consult to uh, domestic schools here um, because there aren't very many international schools, as, as I mentioned, and I help schools to really look at their cultural responsiveness and also put those those mechanisms in place to support the students and and particularly to equip staff in their knowledge and understanding as to what is going on inside the heads and hearts of these students as they transition into uh, the local schools here. And I think your point's an important one about focusing on staff because so many staff are third culture kids or transitioned and they think, well, I've done it, so I know it, you know, and I think we're very likely, I mean, I will talk for myself, is I've transitioned a lot, but no way am I an expert, because very likely have not done it always very well, or managed it, you know, so I think the idea of having your uh, roots and boots and globally grounded as resources is just really such a, a rich opportunity. One question I have, what do you both feel about going back to where you came from to visit old friends and old locations. So in other words, you let's just pick you were in Japan and then you moved to Guatemala and then you decide we're going to go back to Japan for a holiday. We're going to go to the old school. We're going to go to the old places, old neighbors and meet again. What, what What is your feeling about, is that something that should be done? Is that more how you feel? Is it one of the transition musts or is it something, because often people talk about that, is that we're going to wait two years before we go back or no, we're going to go back straight away. So I'm just curious because I hear often different thoughts about that. Such an excellent question, John. And, and Jane and I were actually talking about that very recently. Um, from my from my own experience, um, I, I love going back to places. I'm, I'm very nostalgic and I love seeing old places. And I've, I've taken our two daughters to all the old houses wherever I could um, in Holland or or um, or in, within Switzerland um, and visited them. However, I, I also came to the realization that sometimes this is not a good choice. Um, simply because I, I took them on a on a trip from Switzerland to Holland and stopped in Luxembourg where 
I lived with my parents for a while and then you know, very happily drove straight to the street where I used to live thinking I would see this lovely house and it was completely deserted, locked up, graffitied over. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, this is not how I want to remember it at all. <laughs> Bathtub in the yard, like it was just, it was a mess. And my, my daughters are kind of frightened and said, you, you lived here? <laughs> no, it didn't used to look like that. But so there are, you know, there are situations, I think, you know, more more to your point, like, do we go back? Do we, with our children, do we rekindle connections? Do we, you know, visit the old school? All of those things. I think it's a very personal, um, personal choice. And I do think from, from students that I've seen do it and, and, and friends of my daughters and, and my own daughters doing it, I think there is a lot of value in it if it's possible. I do think, again, that's, you know, as a parent in that situation, you do need to be mindful of whatever emotions may or may not surface and that you you talk through those with them a little bit. I also think, um, and Jane can speak to that a little bit better, it's, a, it's also very interested uh, how the receiving end um, welcomes your visit, right, Jane? Like maybe you want to <laughs> talk about that a little bit more. <laughs> yes, yeah. So that was a very interesting experience for us returning to Australia. Uh, it was almost as if everyone's lives had moved on, the gap had been filled. And so for us to, uh, we thought we would be stepping back into those friendships, those circles, social circles, those experiences, and um, and found that uh, there was no room. There's no room for us, and oh. so that was um, that was a very interesting, a little bit soul destroying <laughs> experience. Imagine. And then, but then, interestingly, what it did was it it kind of almost put we almost put on rose colored glasses about the last place we'd lived overseas. And so we made a choice to, or made a decision to go back to the place that we had left, which in this case, it was Singapore. Um, and to try and just kind of get some equilibrium in, in our, in our lives. And, and I think for me as an adult, we had returned to Australia um, and I, confess I was a reluctant returnee I was you know loving life overseas I was quite happy to go to the next destination as long as it wasn't it wasn't back to Australia uh, so returning home was I was a bit reluctant and I think that's an important element is as well in in returning or moving to a new location the attitude that goes with that um so we went back to Singapore we took our children back with us and it was really the best thing we could have done because you know, it wasn't the same. It was about 18 months later, I think. Um, and Singapore was not the same because not all those people, not all the same people were there. Um, to Valerie's point, you know, our, our house that we had, or one of the houses we lived in, it just wasn't even there anymore. It had just completely disappeared and something else had appeared in, in its place. And I think that that is quite good for, can be quite good for closure. Uh, okay, that was a season in our life that, you know, was very positive. Um, and certainly for our family, that particular season in Singapore was an incredibly positive, unifying time for our family. But it was a season. And so by going back, we were able to see that that season had finished. Okay, it's time for us now to embrace this new season of really being prepared to put down roots in our 
hometown in our home and uh, and make the most of this season that we have. So for us, um, it really was, you know, bittersweet, depending on which way you looked at it. But in the end, it was very positive to to return. And I think generally all these experiences, however traumatic they are in the moment, I think if you talk to a lot of uh, third culture kids or adults, there is generally more positive than negative. And I think, you know, but the journey sometimes can be difficult. And I think those transitions and what I so appreciate on the way you both shared was to highlight the importance of having both, really being mindful of all the people that stay, the people that leave, thinking about the timing and thinking about, you know, uh, honoring the, the the stress, the screams, the emotion. That's part of the process and that this is very nuanced and complex. And actually, just because you've moved a lot doesn't mean you're an expert. And I think that's really something important just any, you know, as school leaders that are part of our audience, anything that a reflection as, you know, it's the summer, everybody's relaxing. And now we're thinking, you know, July, now we're thinking about August, September returns. Any little one little nugget for a school leader as they start off and they welcome these new students and these new faculty members? Well, my one plea would be that they don't just focus on the logistics, that they really seek to understand the emotional side of transitions. Uh, and we can certainly help them with that. Stan can help yes, them with that if, if that's something they're unfamiliar with. And actually, we do know that um, a lot of heads of schools don't feel like they are well informed when it comes to understanding the, the impact of mobility on learning outcomes. So, uh, so that's something to bear in mind. But I just my plea is to, in fact, to go back to Ruth's uh, quote that, that Valerie mentioned, caring before encouragement, so comfort before encouragement. So just seeing the individuals, um, even just validating, you know, very much so validating the emotions that they're going through. Yes, you know, starting at a new school is hard. But we're here to support, and we're here to support you, and 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 you know on that journey. So that's so that would be my one plea, Valerie. Yours? Yes. No, I I fully agree with you, Jane. And and I think you know as as many heads of schools are also leaning more into into well being at their schools. I think it's it's also so important to to value the duty of care we have here because as educators, it is really our responsibility to support our students in their transitions and and so that they can learn well and so that they are enabled to become the best possible versions of themselves. So I think that's that's where um, for leaders, heads of schools, I would really like them to reflect on that. So how how you know how can we ensure that our students can learn well, that they can be the best version of themselves and in doing so, how can we offer them this life skill of managing transitions well. Well, thank you, both of you. And I just want to remind our listeners, uh, Roots and Boots, Valerie uh, has that organization, and Jane, uh, Globally Grounded. And of course, they're both very intimately involved with SPAN and 
highly recommend go to the show notes. They put their links, spend some time. There's just so much great stuff out there. And I know that if you're interested in finding out more, just reach out to Valerie and Jane, and I know they'll be happy to engage in a conversation. Both of you, thank you so much for your time and sharing your wisdom. This has just been great. As I told Ruth when I was uh, talking to her, you know, every time I have this conversation about transition, I go and sit down and just like stuff comes out of the head realizing, oh, this has happened. So uh, it's kind of a free therapy. So thank you. <laughs> but anyway, our, our thank you both. Yeah, our pleasure. Thank you so much, John. Yeah, yeah real pleasure and uh, all the best. And just again to the audience, Roots and Boots and Globally Grounded, do spend some time looking at those resources. Thank you both. Have a lovely evening. Take care. Thank you, John. Thank you.